You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36. Again, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, They sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. All right. Good morning, Park Church. Uh, My name is Luke. I'm the student minister here, and uh, it's such a privilege and a joy to be able to be uh, teaching, uh, this opportunity to be able to teach you guys. So the last time I preached was about seven months ago. It was in July, early July, and uh, I haven't gotten to preach since that fiasco. Um, but today, but I feel like there's been enough like water under the bridge, and so they're like, oh yeah, we're going to roll the dice with Luke again and see how that goes. <laughs> Good luck. So, uh, but because uh, what's happening is today, we're going to talk about dares, we're going to talk about doing dares. And I want to share with you guys very quickly a quick game that me and my students play while we're at camp, and it's a game called Double Tap. Double Tap. And so, oh yeah, here we go. Double Tap, tap is amazing. Because here's the deal, right? The rules are like this. Every time we're in like the dining hall or the cafeteria or whatever, and we pick up a drink, right? Every time we pick up our cup to drink water or whatever, so we pick it up. When you put it back down, you have to double tap it. And if you do not... You have to do a dare. You have to do a dare. And so we've got some silly dares if you hit the next slide. So we've done a couple dares here and there. There's like Brennan lying down in the fetal position in the top left. There's Sam in the top right just lying face on the floor. They were down there for like two or three minutes, that sort of thing. Uh, Maddie in the bottom left corner is drinking a horrible concoction that some of these students made. Um, and there's, uh, I think, Sam in the bottom right corner proposing to somebody. Anyway, uh, so uh, that's kind of, we play this game because it's fun, because it's silly, and we all enjoy laughing together, right? But I'd also argue that there is value in doing crazy, uncomfortable things. 
There's value in doing crazy and uncomfortable things. And today, as we continue our series in Matthew, we're going to be talking about dares. We're going to be talking about doing dares. And if you'll recall, the prevailing theme in the book of Matthew is a discourse about kingdoms. It's about kingdoms. Are you a citizen of this fallen, broken, earthly, human kingdom, or are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Two weeks ago, uh, we looked at the beginning of chapter 14, and we kind of looked at a human earthly kingdom, right? So we looked at the story of King Herod killing John the Baptist. And then last week, we contrasted that previous kingdom with uh, the, the, the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, a good king where he feeds the 5,000. He, he loves and he takes care of his people. This is the type of kingdom that God is ushering in, that Jesus is ushering in. And so today, Matthew shows us the tension between those two kingdoms. He shows us the tension between the two. Because on the one hand, as Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom, right? We belong to the kingdom of God. But because we are still here on earth, however, we're still living in the kingdom of man. And so there's still, obviously, pain and brokenness everywhere that we turn. And so Matthew asks us the question, how are we supposed to live in this tension? How are we supposed to live in this tension? The already, but not yet. How do we do that? How do we balance that out? In this passage, Jesus is saying that because we live in the kingdom of man, life will not be easy. Life won't be easy. In fact, you will run into storms. You will run into storms. In those moments, you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel like you're going to drown. And in those times, while in the storms, God might be asking you to do something that seems ridiculous, that seems impossible, stuff that just makes no sense at all. But in those moments, um, when that happens, like, what are you going to do? And that's the question that we want to ask today. And I think that's the question that Matthew is asking us, that Jesus is asking us in this passage. So in this passage, Jesus asks his people to do three seemingly ridiculous things. Three crazy things. The first is that he sends the crowd away, right? He sends the crowd away. Second, he sends his disciples away. And then third, he sends Peter out. He sends Peter out, okay? So he sends away the crowd, the disciples, and then Peter. But I believe the main question that this passage is asking us is, when Jesus dares you to do something crazy, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would inhabit this time right now as we reflect on the storms in our own lives, as we reflect upon what's going on all around us. There's craziness. The wind and the waves are buffeting against our respective boats. But God, help us to remember that you are king and that you are good and that you're faithful and strong and mighty to save. Lord, I pray that right now as we study your word, that your presence would be here in a powerful way, that you would speak to all of us individually where, where we are at, whatever, you, whatever we need, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would speak uh, powerfully to us and honestly with us, and then in these moments, you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not be mine, but rather yours instead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, next slide, first point. Jesus sends away the crowd. Jesus sends away the crowd. So last week, we went over verses 13 to 21, which is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
And so what happens in that story, very briefly, is that Jesus ministers to this huge crowd. It's a humongous crowd. There's 5,000 men, but it could be maybe like 15,000 people total if you also count women and children, right? So there's a huge crowd of people that Jesus ministers to. And he, it says that he has compassion on them. Compassion. And he does this ridiculous miracle, and he feeds all of them. Every single person there, he feeds them all. So let's stop for a second. Let's just pause for just a second. Because could you imagine if Jesus did something like that today? So, I mean, let's just think about this mathematically, right? Mathematically. So if there are 15,000 people and let's say a meal is worth like, what, $10? He pretty much made $150,000 materialize out of nowhere. That is what Jesus did. Money out of nowhere. 150 k in food out of nowhere. So Jesus was saying through this miracle, I am God. I am God. I have unlimited resources, but most of all, I care for you. I care for you. And so in response, the people get so excited that in John chapter 6, it says that they try to make Jesus king by force. They try to make him king by force. And so Jesus, as you can see, is at the height of his popularity. He's at the height of his popularity. He's like super popular. Thousands and thousands of people are following him. Everybody loves him. And so what does he do to capitalize on his popularity? Let's read verse 22 again. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. While he dismissed, what? Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, okay, crowds, love you. Bye. See ya. He gets rid of them. And you're like, what? What are you doing? You're at the height of your popularity. Dis like, like, you're going to dismiss us? You don't want, how, don't you want to capitalize on your momentum? What are you doing here? Why does he do that? Why does he send the people away? Doesn't he want his people to be with him? Doesn't he want to minister to them? Doesn't he want them to be saved? Doesn't he want to take care of them? Jesus recognizes that having a crowd of fans is useless to him, is useless to his ministry. Having a crowd of fans is useless. But having a few faithful followers will change the world. Let me give you an illustration. Any baseball fans in this room? Any baseball? Oh, good. Oh, wow. There's like, in the previous service, there's like three people that raised their hands. Cool. So there's like 10 people. We got 10 baseball fans in this room. Great. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. Okay. So I'm a big fan of the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, okay. I'm a fan of the Philadelphia Phillies. And let me tell you a story about the Phillies. Okay. So in 2008, the miraculous happened. The miraculous happened where the Philadelphia Phillies somehow, by the grace of our Lord Jesus, won the World Series. They won the World Series, right? Impossible. Never did it again. Anyway, like they won. And so, as you can see in this picture here, like every single home game looked like this. Every single home game in Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia looked just like this. Every seat was taken. Sold out crowd. Every single home game. However, in 2017, that changed. More recently, <laughs> the stadium has looked like this. Uh, and as you can see, so the blue, I don't know if you can see from back there, but all that blue space, those are empty seats. Empty seats. And you're kind of like, what? Why? You know, what happened? Why, why, why are there no seats? Why is it so empty in the stadiums? It is because we stink. Because the Philadelphia Phillies stunk. When that picture was taken in 2018, uh, so uh, let me take that back. In 2017, nine years after we had won the World Series, the Philadelphia Phillies were last place in the NL East and the third worst team in baseball. 
They were super bad. They were the worst. And so because of that, the stadium was mostly empty. The people who were there in 2008, but not there in 2018, they bailed when times got hard for the Phillies. They were what is known as fair weather fans. Fair weather fans, not faithful followers of the Phillies. You see that? In the same way, while Jesus loved the crowd, he had compassion on them, he healed them, he, he fed them, he, he loved them and he cared for them, he dispersed them because he knew, Jesus knew, that fanness, fanness is useless. Fanness is useless to him because he knew that in a year or two, the same people who shouted Hosanna would also shout crucify him. He knew that. And so Jesus is not looking for fair weather fans that are Christians only when life is comfortable, only when life is convenient. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for believers, for followers who have grit, people who will be faithful to him even when life stinks, even when life is hard, even when the storms come. Because fair weather fans will not change the world, only faithful followers will. And so the question is, are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you willing to follow him even when the storm comes? That's our first point. Next slide, second point. Jesus sends away the disciples. Jesus sends away the disciples. So it makes sense that Jesus sends away the crowd, right? Oh, they're a fair weather fan, so time for them to go. Okay, makes total sense, right? But look at what he does next. Let's, let's read uh, verse 22 again. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And so he's like, what? Luke, didn't you just say that fair weather? He's ascending away the disciples too? What? What's going on here? Jesus is like, hey, disciples, go away. I'm climbing this mountain. Deuces. See ya. And you're like, what? Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. We're your faithful followers. We're not fans. We're not your fans. We're your faithful followers. We're your disciples. We're your disciples. We're faithful. Why are you sending us away? But regardless of their questions they might have had, They obey Jesus, but look what happens. Let's read verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. Jesus sends his disciples into a storm. Do you see that? Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. The boat is being buffeted by the waves, and they think that they're going to die. They think they're going to drown. And keep in mind, by the way, that several of the disciples are expert sailors, right? They're fishermen. They know this lake. They know how to sail, and they think they're going to die. They think they're going to drown. Lord, they said, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Not because we're idiots, not because we're being sinful, but because you put us here. Lord, you put us here. So let's stop for a minute. Has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you? I'm not talking about the times when you've been dumb or sinful and then you reap the consequences of being stupid. I'm not talking about that. That happens a lot to me. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the times when you're trying to follow and obey Jesus, but horrible stuff still seems to happen to you. Jesus, I'm trying to follow you with my whole heart but you're nowhere to be found. I, I, I'm, I've been, my prayer life has been good. I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've even been tithing. What? Who does that? I've been tithing. Like, I've been doing all these things, yet my life is horrible, and I'm drowning. How could a good God 
allow horrible stuff to happen to the ones that he loves. Let me share a quick story uh, about myself. So about a year ago, um, I was a youth pastor in Southern California, and I loved it there. I loved it. Best job I ever had, dream job. And I loved my life. I loved my job. I loved my students. I loved my friends. I loved the weather there. It was, like, amazing. I loved it in California. But around this time last year, I strongly felt like God was asking me to leave that life behind and to move here to Denver and serve here at Park Church. And so in late April, what I did was I packed my car and I began the journey out here. However, while I was driving through the mountains of Utah, I discovered something, I ran into something that I was not accustomed to, and apparently, okay, so I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes there's this white stuff (laughs) that falls from the sky and it hits the ground and makes the ground slippery. Has anyone ever heard of that stuff? It's called snow, and I wasn't used to that. And I ran into this thing called black ice in the mountains of Utah. Has anyone ever heard of black ice? So what happened was my vehicle hydroplaned. I, I you know, hit the center divide a couple times. Like, I totaled my vehicle. Um, and by the way, this was my first car accident in my entire life. I've never been in a car accident until I started my trip to Denver. <laughs> So I'm sitting there on the side of the road, you know, my wheels, you know, my back tire flew off and I was like, okay, I'm stuck here, stuck here, can't move, smelling the, you know, the fumes of my vehicle that just exploded or didn't really explode, but you know, that just dead, that just died. And I was praying. So, well, first I like, called the cops like, hey, uh, and then I called my insurance company like, hey, um, uh, yeah, I blew up my car. And then they're just like, okay, cool. And then after I was done talking to them, I was just sitting there waiting for people to show up. And I was like, Lord, what is this? What is this, Lord? I didn't want to leave California. I didn't want to leave. I'm doing my best to honor you. I'm doing my best to follow after you. Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen? And I'd imagine that perhaps some of you might be asking a similar question. Some of you might be saying the same thing. Perhaps you're asking, God, where are you? Where are you? How could you allow blank to happen to me? How could you allow this, this divorce to happen? How could you allow this person to get ill or sick or cancer? Or, or how could you allow this person to pass away? How could you allow this broken relationship to happen? How could you allow, like, you could have intervened, Lord. Why did you not? Why did you allow this to happen? Some of you might be asking a similar question to what I asked on the side of the road in Utah. And I want to propose that the answer to that question might be found in the person of Peter. So next slide, last point. Jesus sends out Peter. Jesus sends out Peter. Let's read verses 25 and 26 again. 25, 26. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. In the middle of the storm, Jesus starts strolling across the lake, just strolling across the lake, and he comes in visual range of the disciples, and how do the disciples respond in their moment of crisis? How do they respond? What do they say? Are they like, yay, it's Jesus. My Savior's here to rescue us. We've been hanging out with him for a couple years now. We love him. Hooray, we're saved. Nope. That is not what they do. They think Jesus is a ghost. They think Jesus is a ghost. They don't recognize him at all because they are thinking about themselves and the problem around them. 
Their focus, their eyes were not on Jesus. They weren't on their Savior. They were looking at themselves and the wind and the waves, the problems that surrounded them. They forgot that Jesus, their friend and mentor and Savior, commands the power of life and death and nature. They forgot that, these, he, that he has healed hundreds of people to this point, that he's even resurrected a couple people, right? Jairus' daughter in Matthew 5, the widow's son in Luke 7. He's resurrected people. They forgot that just, in fact, perhaps hours ago, not a very long time ago, they just fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. With their own hands, they did it, and they forgot. They forgot all those things. They were not thinking about Jesus because they were focused on the problem and focused on themselves. And how do we know this? Because they were looking for a ghost, not their savior, friend, and king. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, any basketball fans in the room here? Any basketball fans? Oh, okay, yeah. In the previous service, there's like four, so good. There's like 10 of us here, awesome. So, basketball fans, uh, anybody gonna watch the All-Star game today, by the way? Anybody going to watch it? It's going to be this afternoon. Chase is the only one that's going to watch the All-Star game. Cool. Thanks, Chase. Okay, so Chase and I are going to be watching. The, anybody notice how Tracy McGrady got left out of the top 75 best basketball players in history? Kind of crazy. Anyway, <clears throat> here's, a, here's my question for you, for you, like, four basketball fans in this room. If you were down by 10 with 35 seconds left to go, what are you thinking? How, how good are your odds of success? Probably not very high, right? Chances are you're going to lose. What if you're down by 10 with 35 seconds left to go against the NBA champions? Probably not going to win, right? Game over, we're going to lose. And this was, was the situation in 2004 when Tracy McGrady and the Houston Rockets were playing the world champion San Antonio Spurs. Okay? Any Rockets fans here? Any Rockets fans? Okay, there were a couple in the first service. I'm going to show you a three-minute YouTube video of a situation where that happened. <laughs> but I want you to listen carefully to the end and what the announcers say at the end. I want you to listen carefully to the announcers. Go ahead and roll the video. He did not get that play correct out of the timeout. And it's obviously upset with Manu. Here's McGrady for three. That's easy. 35 seconds to go. Continues to hit at the line. By seven. Rockets looking for a quick shot. Bowen is all over. McGrady. Foul is picked up. Yes. A potential four point play. Tracy McGrady from downtown. And Tim Duncan could not get out of the way. He's called for the foul. What a, what a shot by McGrady. You'll see the screen by Yao Ming, which forces Duncan to help, and he just draws the contact and somehow gets it to go. Incredible shot. By T-Mac. 16.2 to go. In the fourth. And Barrett can't find anybody. They have no timeouts remaining. Finally gets it in to McGrady. McGrady over Bowen for three. Yes! Yes! Tracy McGrady. 13 points. They've outscored the Spurs 14 to 6. And this a moment ago. Well, they almost didn't get the ball in, and now you've got the best defender in the game on McGrady. How does he hit this? Bowen not wanting to pick up the foul. And McGrady amazingly somehow gets it to go. It's a two-point game. And a good job by Andre Barrett. They had no timeouts left. Close to a five-second count, but got the ball 
inbound, so 11.2 to go in this fourth quarter. San Antonio now clinging to a two-point lead. They've led by as many as 11. Yao Ming on the inbounds. Trying to make things difficult for Brent Barry. Gets it in. Evan Brown lost it. Here comes McGrady. No timeout for Manny. McGrady for the win. Yeah. 1.7 to go. San Antonio with no timeout. Here's Parker. And the Rockets steal a game from the Spurs. Tracy McGrady with an incredible pass down the McGrady with 33 points. The Texas showdown continues. San Antonio had won seven straight against Houston, and it's all McGrady scoring the last 13 for the Rockets. 13 points in 33 seconds. And he never had a doubt that he was going to pull up from three and go for the win, and why not? Unbelievable. All those people who left, Marv, they're driving home in their cars right now wondering, what were we thinking? Well, we were wrapping it up for San Antonio, but we had to stay. All right. So, crazy, right? Crazy. But did you hear what the announcer said at the end? Did you hear what he said at the end? He was kind of like, think about the people who went home. Think about the people who went home. They were Fairweather fans, right? They were fair weather fans. They decided that the problem in front of them, in front of their Houston Rockets team, was insurmountable. So like the disciples, they saw a ghost and they gave up. They gave up. They're like, I'm going home. And in doing so, they missed out on a miracle. They missed out on a miracle. And so the question is, do we do this too? Do we do this too? In a crisis, do we dwell on the problems and look for ghosts? Or do we look for our Savior? We look for our Savior. In verse 27, Jesus shows up. He, he identifies himself. Hey, it's me, Jesus. He identifies himself, and he tells them not to look at the problem, but to look at him. So Peter responds in verses 28 and 29. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He, Jesus said, come. So Peter goes out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Okay. So Peter's kind of like, oh yeah, Mr. Ghostman? Oh yeah? If it's really you, if it's really you, then tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus says, all right, come on out. And Peter's like, oh, okay. Oh no, rut row, right? Because he understands, again, as an experienced sailor, as an experienced fisherman, this is suicide. This is suicide. It would be the same as jumping out in front of a train or jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. This is suicide. He knows this. But in this brief moment, in this brief moment when his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he trusts Jesus more than he trusts in the laws of physics. He trusts in Jesus more than that, and so he jumps. He gets out of the boat, and he gets to walk on the water with Jesus. And we have to understand that this isn't just like a cool miracle, like, hey, he can walk on the water. Cool. It's not just that, because we have to understand the biblical symbolism here of what's happening here. Because large bodies of water in the Bible represent death. 
Large bodies of water always represent death. So let's look at, for example, the second day of creation, or let's look at Noah and the flood, or let's look at uh, uh, Egypt and the Red Sea, or let's look at Jonah and the whale, or let's look at uh, Revelation 21. We just read it this morning, right? Where in the New Jerusalem, there's no sea, and you're like, why? I like the sea. I like the beach. It's because there is no death. There's no death in heaven, so there's no more sea in heaven. Do you see that? Large bodies of water always represent death in the Bible. But when Peter's eyes are on Jesus, Peter gets to walk on top of death. And so, if we think about it, if Jesus had never commanded his disciples to go away, to get onto the boat and go, in, you know, go into the storm, Peter would never have had this opportunity to walk on the water with Jesus. And so the question is, if Jesus would do this to Peter, to the ones that he loves, to his disciples, the ones that he loves greatly, is it possible that God might have put storms in your life to give you a chance as well to walk on the water? Is it possible? That's, uh, let me conclude like this. Uh, so remember the car accident that I was in, as I was telling you about, moving to Denver, side of the road, ran to some white stuff, some snow, spun out, sitting on the side of the road, car totaled, no friends, no family, no church, upset at God. Remember that? I was in that situation. In the aftermath of that situation, I got to witness the faithfulness of God. I got to witness his faithfulness. Because aside from my car getting damaged, none of my stuff was damaged. I didn't get injured. My dog wasn't injured. We were fine. And on top of that, the insurance company, for some reason, gave me $6,000 for a vehicle that was worth $2,000. So I made a profit off of wrecking my car, right? <laughs> also, for some reason, I have no idea how this happened. Maybe it was because I had California insurance that, and I wrecked in Utah, and then I had to switch over to Colorado insurance or something. But for whatever reason, my premium didn't go up. Uh, and I have no idea why, but perhaps that's why. But anyway, but the best thing of all was that God gave me a new family when I moved here. He gave me a new family because I have a bunch of hilarious uh, students that I love very, very much that I get to take care of. And I've got a, a wonderful church of all you beautiful white people that I get to uh, <laughs> serve with. So super thankful, super thankful. And so, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but, but, okay, so, but here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. While sitting on the side of the highway in Utah, I could not see God's hand at work. I could not see God's hand at work. And I believe that Peter, as well, couldn't see either in the midst of his storm. Peter couldn't see either. Let's read verses 30 and 31 again. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus for a brief moment, and so he starts to sink, right? He starts to sink. But, what, so what he was doing was he was looking at the wind and the waves, he was looking at his problems, looking at ghosts instead of his Savior, and so he got distracted. He got distracted. But when Peter cries out, Jesus immediately, immediately saves him, but probably not in the way that he wanted or hoped or expected. Jesus, when he saved him, he could have saved him in many ways, right? He could have stopped the storm immediately. 
right? Could just snap his finger, boom, storm is done. And Peter's like, oh, cool, I can just tread, tread water, swim back to the boat, I'm fine. That would, have been, that would have been miraculous. Or he could have teleported Peter, boop, just teleported him back into the boat. Or he could have levitated Peter. He could have done so many ways. There's so many ways that Jesus could have saved Peter. But instead, he lets the storm rage on. Do you see that? The storm continued to rage on while he reached down and he picked Peter up. The storm continued to rage as they were walking back towards the boat. The storm continued to rage as they were climbing back into the boat. And only after had they both gotten into the boat did the storm subside. Do you see that? Yes, Peter's storm was horrible and life-threatening. Yes, he messes up and he gets distracted. But through this crisis... He not only got to walk over death, but he got to feel the salvation of God. He got to feel the salvation of God. And again, not the way that he expected, not the way that he wanted to, but he got to feel it in the midst of his storm. And could that be the case for us as well? Could that be our story too? This is also exactly what happened. And and so Peter got to see the salvation of God again from Jesus a few months later. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said to us, he said to Peter, I will bear this storm. I will bear this storm here on the cross so that you don't have to, so that you don't have to. The gospel says that our sin and our brokenness, our shame, it destroys us, it kills us. But because of God's great love for us, Jesus offers us a trade. He offers us a cosmic exchange. And he says to us, I will take the pain and the shame and the death that you deserve, and I'm going to give you the love and the joy and the life that I deserve. And so when I teach my students, I always tell them that this is available for anyone who ABCs, ABCs, right? So if anyone A, admits their sin and their inadequacy, B, believes in the strong arm of Jesus, and C, chooses to be a faithful follower, not a fan, but a faithful follower of Jesus. If anyone ABCs, admits, believes, and chooses, they have access to this cosmic trade. And anyone that gets to do this, Jesus gives them the power to walk on the water and walk over death as well. Peter got to experience all of this because he followed and obeyed Jesus. He got to experience it because he followed and obeyed Jesus, even when it made no sense to him, even though it was painful. It made zero sense, but he still followed. He still obeyed. He still took his boat into the storm. He still hopped out of the boat. He still did that. And so the question is, are you also willing to follow and obey? Are you willing to do that too? Are you willing to jump and to get out of the boat? Do you believe that Jesus' arm is strong enough to save you? Following Jesus is difficult. It's very difficult. But I want to promise you, I want to promise you that he will catch you when you stumble. He will catch you when you call out to him. His arm is strong. And should you choose to jump, should you choose to get out of the boat, he will use you to change the world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am just as bad, if not worse, than Peter. I confess that I focus on ghosts. I focus on the wind and the waves. I focus on the problems surrounding me. I'm also super self-absorbed, and I look to myself in my self-preservation, and I get anxious about 
all the stuff. Whenever a storm comes, Lord, my first reaction is to blame everybody else or to blame you instead of wait your rescue and wait your salvation. And God, you are a God of rescue. You are a God of salvation. You are mighty to save. That is who you are. You've proved that to yourself over and over and over through the scriptures. You've proved that to, our, to my life, at least in my life, how you've saved me over and over and over again. Uh, yet, at the same time, I still tend to <laughs> focus on the wind and waves. And so, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I just pray that you'd forgive me for that and that you'd forgive us for that. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people that remember, that remember your salvation, that remember that when our eyes are fixed upon you, Jesus, we get to walk on the water, that we get to conquer death, and that no matter the storm that's raging around us, that you are, that if if our eyes are fixed upon you, we're good, we're so good, and in fact, miracles will flow from our fingertips, that we'll get to walk on the water too. So God, may that be our reality right now as we think, as we reflect on and perhaps some of the storms in our life. God, we pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness in this short time of reflection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Part Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.